following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Well, hi there, everyone. This is Rabbi Mel Glazer, and I'm back. I'm back to help you go from morning to morning. Uh, Everybody there has lost a loved one, and the journey from one place to the other is so difficult, and nobody tells you how to do that. I was talking to somebody this morning, and she, her mother died about, I don't know, two years ago. And she said to me, you know, somebody said to me, I should join a grief group because a grief group will help me heal. So she took her friend's advice and she went and joined a grief group. And she lasted in that grief group about... Six weeks, I think. That's what she told me. So I said, why did you last only six weeks? She says, because every session was the same. Everybody was complaining and moaning and groaning about their death, about whoever their loved one was who had died. And it was like they were comparing. It was like a pain Olympics you know, to see who could win the gold medal in pain. And I just wasn't interested. It didn't help me. I said, well, you listen to me tonight or this morning or this afternoon, wherever you, wherever it is for you, and I'm going to help you go from grief to healing. So we've, um, we've come a ways. We've, we heard a Zen story in the beginning and then, We heard about Robert at Terminal 2 at Newark Airport. And if you missed those episodes, you know you can get them on voiceamerica.com, I think, slash empowerment. Well, you'll find me. And uh, I may have some more stories tonight. I have some more. We'll see how the time goes. So tonight I want to talk about shock. Because I believe firmly that when someone dies, that is the first feeling that we feel. We are in shock. So I'm going to talk to you at the beginning of the presentation tonight about how shock can be a good thing as well as a bad thing, but you got to wait for it. 
It's very important that you know this. First, you got to wait. So we know what happens. So I'm doing a funeral tomorrow for a woman in her 50s. I did not know her. She belonged to another congregation here in town. And her rabbi was out of town. So he called me and invited me to officiate. And of course, I was honored to do so. And so I went over there yesterday to talk to the family. And many of the things that I've said to you, I say to them. And we talked about shock. Now, this lady, who was in her 50s, was in hospice for four months. And, and the family, you know, took turns sitting there. And we've talked about how uncomfortable a situation that is where you, you go to the hospice or you go to the hospital and they're lying in bed and there's nothing you can do for them because there's a whole staff that takes care of them, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's your mother or your father or a, another family member, you're going to be there because that's what you're supposed to do. So, And then you sit there all day and you go home at night and you are exhausted because while you've been there all day, you haven't done anything. That's just the way it goes. You know that. You've been there. So anyway, after about four months in hospice, she couldn't talk. She, uh, I'm not even sure what she died from, but they were in shock. The family was in shock. So I said, but you've been expecting this. This is what the doctors told you. The doctors told you that your mom was going to die because her body was deteriorating. Well, we know, but they one said to me, the husband said to me, you know, the day before she died, she was with us. We could hug her. We could talk to her a little bit. And then all of a sudden she died and we couldn't do that anymore. And he said, it's, Every day at 1 o'clock during his lunch hour, his phone would ring at his factory, and he knew it would be her because that was what they had decided they were going to do. She was going to call, and she talked to him, and she told him how much she loved him and vice versa, and how was your day, dear? You know the story. So he said, and now... The phone is not going to ring at 1 o'clock because there's going to be nobody there. And he was in shock. And I said, but you expected it. So the lesson that I learned a long time ago was that shock is the first response to a sudden or unexpected death and even an expected death causes loved ones and others to feel numb. It's a perfectly natural reaction. The issues we want to pay attention to are the results of this shock, how long it lasts, how we function while we're in an emotional shock, how we get through it and its aftermath. But you know what I'm talking about. People have died and you've been in shock and you expected them to die. But it really didn't matter because one day they're there with you 
and the next day they're not. When a loved one dies, first we're in shock. In our head, we may be quiet, but in our heart, we are in shock. And when we're in shock, we're also shocked by the death's circumstances and implications. Most of the time, even though we're in shock, we keep functioning because that's what you have to do. You have kids, you have to go to work, you have a job, you, you know, you can't just take off for six months. Some companies give you bereavement leave, I know that, but not enough and not enough days for bereavement leave. So we go to work, we go to school, we go to parties, we go to wherever we usually have to go. And usually we don't talk about it to anybody. We keep the pain inside as if not talking about it will make it go away. But we know, we know that doesn't work so well. How many of you out there know exactly what I'm talking about? When a loved one died, you couldn't talk about it. You didn't want to talk about it. You didn't want to burden somebody else with your father's death, and you didn't want to go into details, and you didn't want to break into tears in the middle of the supermarket, and so you didn't talk about it. And as I've taught before, nobody teaches us what to say, how to start the conversation. So we keep the pain in ourselves, inside ourselves, as if that will make it go away. But it doesn't work out so well when we do that. So my advice is don't stop talking about loved ones who've died. Although it may be a good thing that we continue fully with our life and, and, and our work, it is never good when we do not talk about our loved one who is no longer with us. This has some very interesting ramifications. You know, let's say that, God forbid, a child dies. And I'll have a lot more to say about that, you know, later on. Not tonight, but later on. A child dies. And some people say it's the worst death there is. I'm going to talk about that. I'm not sure it's the worst death there is. If my mother dies and your child dies, am I not going to mourn my mother at 100% because your child dies and I'll say to myself, well, you know, my mother was 85 years old and this kid was only six, so who am I? I don't have any problems. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. So we don't talk about it, but no one can heal us you know, when, when we don't talk about the one who died. Talking about those who've died is integral to the grief recovery process. You have to talk about people who have died. Sometimes it gets harder. So let's say your six-year-old child dies, and I, can, I, I can't see you and I can't hear you, but I know that there are people listening to me who are in tears because that's exactly what happened to them. Their six-year-old or younger child died. 
and they didn't know what to do. So then, you know, in a week or two, you're at a party or at a dinner or somewhere with people that you don't know, and one of them comes up to you and says, hi, my name is Mel, and um, let's, uh, let's meet each other, and fine. So then he says to me, or she says to me, well, how many kids do you have? Well, then you're in tears all over again because you don't know what to say because you had four and now you have three. But it's not his business. It's not my business when I ask you how many kids you have or you ask me how many kids I have, and yet it's an honest question, something that people ask each other. So what do you say? Do you say, well, I started out with four, but one died, so now I only have three? Wow. Think how hard that would be for anybody. On the other hand, do you say, I have four kids? Well, that's not easy either because you don't have four kids. You have three kids. I don't know what the answer to that dilemma is. I cannot help you with that. You'll have to figure out what feels most comfortable in your response. But I know one thing, and that is to stay silent. It's like pretending the deceased never, ever lived never even had an impact on your life. That's denial. Several weeks ago I said, we don't, we don't deny death because we're in the room and we're at the service and we, you know, we do all the religious things that our traditions say or we, or we um, bury their ashes in the backyard or over the seas or the waters or whatever. We're not in denial, but this is denial. So when you don't talk about the one who died, you're really denying. To stay silent is like pretending that they never lived, and you can't do that. Talking about, um, it's a form of denial, and it has no purpose, and it only serves to clog up your emotional drain. Talking about those who've died is a healthy venting. A healthy flow through the emotional drain. You know that. Because when you finally begin to talk to a good friend about the death of a loved one, and you're in tears, and it's okay. It's okay, and you feel much, much better afterwards. I know you do, and you know you do as well. When you're in shock, it helps to be with people. It's like a reality check. They're in shock too. You can be compassionate with each other. And by talking to each other after the death begins to sink in and the shock begins to slowly wear off. It's gradual, but that's what happens. So there are two kinds of shock. We have a little time before the break, so I'm going to start talking about the, what I call the first shock. While we are in shock, we're also upset about the end of the hopes, dreams, and expectations we had for whoever died, about the end of their futures. There will be no future, and we need to begin to think about that too. You're not going to have grandchildren from that baby. 
There's not going to be a wedding. There's not going to be a high school graduation. There's not going to be a confirmation or a consecration or a bar mitzvah. There's not going to be that kind of future. And so that's the first shock. The reality has hit us. And we are dumbfounded. We are just clueless about what to do. When someone, when someone dies, what ideas and circumstances can shock us? The list is always long and tailored to the particular person who died, as well as the person who is in shock. But here are some of the most common elements on that list. What are you shocked about? The idea that he died before his time. That he died in a particularly gruesome way. By the way, when you think that he died before his time, you're wrong. Only God decides when is the right time. We'll talk more about that too. That she died out of the blue without any warning. That he died right in front of you, whether it was expected or not. You don't know what to do. You're in shock. Believing that he died unfairly, such as an accident or murder, or from the side effects of medication, he OD'd. And he, and he OD'd on stuff that was supposed to help him. Or he died after a surgery that was supposed to, expected to go well. My daddy's surgery was expected to go well, but he died because the surgeon clipped an artery. Today, we would have sued him, but then, no, because he was a family friend. So you just say, well, accidents happen, but you never get over it. After first seeming to get better, he dies, or just before a joyous occasion such as an engagement, a marriage, a child's birth, graduation, professional honor, an honor or an award, meeting a personal goal, an anniversary, birthday, or a holiday, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and becoming the victim of a natural or other kind of disaster. Can you imagine if a loved one dies uh, as a result of a natural disaster, a flood? I mean, I don't know what I would do about that. And so the first shock has to do, and there's more to it, and we'll talk about it. The first shock has to do with, oh, my God, how could it have happened? He was there, she was there, and now they're not, and I'm alone for the first time or after spending 30 years with the one that I loved. That's a shock. What do you do? We'll talk about it. You're overwhelmed by having to take care of all of your life's practical and logistical things when you've been used to sharing those tasks or having someone else do them. I have lots more to say about the second shock I'll be back in a few minutes, uh, a very few short minutes, and we'll talk some more. I'll see you on the other side. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com We're 
making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Oh, we're back. You know, during the break, I listened to the music. I chose that music. I love that music. I could do a whole show of an hour just letting you listen to that music that I picked because it's so lively and it makes me feel so good. I guess that's why they put me on empowerment, um, because uh, my job is to give you the power to heal from loss. But that music, I just love it. Love it. So the last thing about the first shock is you can be shocked that everyone else isn't shocked about the death and its circumstances and effect on you. So if your mother's in the hospital, in hospice, you know she's going to die and everybody else does too. So when she dies, you're, shot, you're in shock. But you're going to find a lot of people are not because they expected, they knew she was going to die. And they're not as into, you know, being upset as, as you are. But that's the first shock. But, and that's, You won't believe me when I tell you this. That's the easier shock. I say shock is like a one-two punch. The first shock is when he dies. The second shock is when you realize he's not coming back. He's really gone. Remember I told you about the guy, the husband, um, whose wife died, and he's never going to get the 1 p.m. phone call at work because... There's going to be nobody at the other end of the phone. She's really, really gone. Sometimes the second shock comes soon after the first, but not always. Sometimes it can come weeks, months, or even years after the first, especially if this is a morning without death. If you're grieving a loss such as divorce or Alzheimer's, or the end of a relationship, which we're going to talk about. At some point after the initial breakup, when you realize that he or she is not coming back to you, that the person you thought was the love of your life isn't, that's your second shock. 
And the second shock can be even bigger and worse than the first shock because often the real deep mourning can only begin after the acceptance of loss that the second shock represents. You know couples who live together for five years. And all of a sudden, they just get tired of each other. It's not working out. And so they break up. It's like they're married, and now they're not. Or let's say a couple is really married, and they've been married for a while. Something happens. Maybe it's another woman. Maybe it's another man. Maybe it's boredom. Who knows? There could be a lot of reasons. And all of a sudden, they're in divorce court. And life totally changes. That's the second shock. It's finally sinking in. It's over. Whether by death or breakup, it's really over. He's gone. She's gone. And they're not coming back. You grieved after the first shock. Maybe you even thought you were pretty far along in your healing process. When wham, the second shock hits you. And you find yourself grieving even harder than when you first got the bad news. This is one of the things that makes the grief process so complex. You have to grieve over and over again. This is not something that a lot of people talk about because most people mistakenly think once you grieve someone, you're done. But that's not true. At any point during the healing or recovery process, you can feel like you're starting all over again, mourning from scratch. Especially if you're a kid when your parent dies. I was 12 years old, so I had to mourn as a 12-year-old. And then I became 13, I became bar mitzvah, and my daddy was not on the bima, on the pulpit in the synagogue with me, which he should have been. So I had to grieve again differently. And then I got to be 18 and 20 and 30, and now I'm 68. And each year you think on the anniversary of their deaths, you think about them and you grieve differently. They're still gone, but you're changing all the time. And so the second shock is often worse than the first. But shock is not all bad. Nobody else is going to tell you this. I learned it from my own life and from my teachers. Immediately after receiving the bad news, shock can actually be good for you because... It protects you from the initial intensity and reality of losing someone. Shock fortifies you and allows you to deal with the loss gradually as the shock wears off. You know people who, in an emergency, are are fine. They take care of the details. They take care of the family. They go to the hospital. They do what they have to do. And, and you would never know that anything was wrong. But then, weeks or months later, that's when they break apart. That's when the second shock gets to them. So you have to sort all over again. And you have to ask yourself the question, okay, now what am I going to do? As I like to say, who are you going to be when you grow up? That's the question. 
I ask myself that question all the time. So do you, or you should. You don't have to stay the same, especially after somebody dies. You can change who you are because it's different now. You get to choose. This, so the shock temporarily paralyzes you in a way, and that can protect you while you let the reality sink in and begin the early stages of healing at your own pace. Remember what I said, there's no clock for the soul. It takes as long as it takes. The numbness you feel is like Novocaine. Remember Novocaine? When you went to your dentist? It's like Novocaine that the dentist gave you so you don't feel him drilling into your tooth. Can you imagine what it would be like to go to the dentist and you need a tooth removed and, and there's no Novocaine? I did that once. Tooth was really loose. I was about eight years old. And, and I go to my dentist, and I knew he was going to have to pull the tooth, and I didn't want to think about it. So I sit in the chair, and he says, okay, the tooth's coming out. Now, your choice, do you want me to put you to sleep, give you some Novocaine so you won't know what's going on, or do you want me to take a string and tie it around your tooth? I said, what? He said, well, that's what I usually do with kids. I take a string. I tie one end around the tooth, and I tie the other end around the doorknob. Sounded pretty crazy to me, but I said, okay. So he ties a piece of the string around my tooth. He opens his door to the room. He ties the other piece around the doorknob, and then he says to me, are you ready? I said, just do what you got to do. And he slammed the door, and out came that tooth. I still remember that. And like I said, I'm 68 years old. Some things you just never forget. So sometimes when you feel numb, as I did when he told me what he was going to do, um, it didn't hurt so bad. By the time the numbness wears off, the healing has begun and you're beyond the sharpest initial pain. So my tooth was gone. It didn't, my mouth didn't hurt anymore. Yeah, it was a little bloody, but okay, fine. Not so bad. That's the second shock. The shock and numbness has protected you from feeling as acutely as you would have felt it had you not been numbed by shock. As the numbness wears off, you've practically been, you've been gradually acclimating to the pain. You know that's true because most people get better eventually. It's the time that helps the numbness. It's the initial numbness, the shock, the first shock that allows you to live through the through the days and weeks and months until time does what it's supposed to do and you finally begin to feel better. So I want to talk to you now about how to get through the initial shock. There's not much you can say to people that will comfort them immediately 
after someone dies. They're too much in shock for anything to help. You should just hug them and comfort them. Anything you say, anything you say, except I'm sorry or what do you need from me, is not going to help and can be damaging. You want to help, but you don't know what to say. I'm going to teach you what to say, and I'm going to teach you what never to say. Never, never. If you learn nothing else from me, it will be what you should never say to somebody after a loved one has died. We'll talk about that. So how do you get through shock? The answer is gradually. First, you think about the next moments, then the next hour, then the next 24 hours. You get through day by day. You focus on what you need to do each day. Incorporating some of your regular routine helps because routine is good for you when you're in shock. It centers you and makes you feel somewhat normal in the midst of what feels abnormal about your days, your shock, and your grief. You know that eventually you're going to have to get up and go to work. So you still set your alarm clock. You know that you're going to have to take your kids to school. So you take your kids to school. It's the routine that saves your soul after a death. It's the routine. Routine is a lifesaver. Don't ever forget that. And don't try to deny your feelings and don't try to deny you're in shock or that you're angry. Denial never helps. It just makes everything worse. And don't be surprised if you're angry. It's only natural since anger can result from being abandoned, frustrated, and sad. What do you mean daddy died when I was 12 years old? How dare he do that? I'm 12 years old. I need him. I hate him because he died when I was so young. It's okay to feel that way. Perfectly normal and okay to hate the person who died. Nobody's going to tell you this, but it's true. You know that. Because when they died, you were you left alone often. And now you got to do chores and other kinds of things that you never had to do before that he or she used to do. You're angry and you have a right to be. So don't be afraid of being angry. It's part of the, the grief culture. It's, how, it's part of how you heal. It's natural. Since anger can result from feeling abandoned, frustrated, and sad. When you acknowledge your anger, guilt may surface. Because, you know, it's not nice to say you hate your daddy because he died when you were 12 years old. You sound like a jerk when you talk like that. People don't want to hear that. But it's true. But it makes you feel sad and embarrassed and guilty. It's not uncommon to feel guilty about being angry, but there's no need to feel guilty since you've done nothing wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. I didn't kill my father. His body gave out. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry that you've lost someone. It's a perfectly healthy emotion to feel at this point in the healing process. Your anger may even be directed at the one who died. 
definitely, or whom you lost in a relationship. You could be angry at doctors. You could be angry at God or anyone for any reason. Anger can actually be positive force in the early stages of your grief because it's a sign that you value yourself. When you're angry, it's a way of saying, I don't deserve this. I am entitled to a good life, to this kind of thing not happening to me. Anger helps us believe that the world is ruled by order. We're angry, why? Because we feel that things have become out of order. They've deviated from what the order should have been. We weren't supposed to lose a loved one, so we're angry. Life is not normal anymore, and we're angry. While anger can be healthy, excessive, and prolonged anger can turn into revenge, make you lash out at others, lead to depression, and even thoughts of suicide. I know out there, you're listening to me and you're saying, yeah, that was me. I was so angry, I was ready to kill myself. Because life without my husband or wife or kid just was not worth living. Anger projected outward leads to violence. Anger projected inward leads to self-destructive behavior. I'm going to say that again. Anger projected outward leads to violence. Anger projected inward leads to self-destructive behavior. Our anger is normal, but it isn't pure anger. It's filled with fear. When we have to change the way we've lived for so many years, when we become homebound or need bedpans and walkers, when we have to depend on dialysis and adult diapers, when we spend too much time in the hospital, and we begin to realize that our lives are coming to an end, we're scared, and that fear comes out as anger. The anger we feel is the fear that we no longer have a life to enjoy, and the death is coming closer and closer with each passing day. Yet, no matter how many days, weeks, or months we have left to live, we have the ability to make decisions about how we live and what we want to happen before we die. Nobody gets to tell you how to die. Only you get to tell you how to die. And there's political arguments all over the world about this. Can I tell the doctor to pull the plug? Can I push the button and die from drugs? All these things that we talk about and we worry about. You know what? Just remember, it's your choice how you live, and it's your choice how you die. I'll be back. And we'll talk some more. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Want more positivity in your life? 
Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan, and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. Star Style. Be the star you are. Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 8 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Now, don't you love that music? You know, when I'm feeling bad at night, I will listen to music. I don't do classical music. It's, it bores me. It puts me to sleep. I listen, you know what I listen to? I listen to uh, Jewish prayer music, cantorial music, and you, you may be very surprised to know, I listen to gospel music. I listen to a cappella choirs, particularly black a cappella choirs. You know why? Because nobody, nobody gets me moving, gets my spirit moving like a black choir. I once had a black um, church come over to my synagogue for a service, for a Sabbath service, and I said to the minister, listen, Reverend, if you don't bring your choir, don't bother coming, because I love you, but I love your choir better. So I'm, I'm sharing that with you. Music helps. It really helps. So find some good rockin' music to change your mood from sadness to joy. It really does help. Okay. It helps even when you're filled with the second kind of shock, and it helps even when you're filled with fear. The ability to look beyond pain is one of the precious gifts I believe God gives to us. Because in your head, you know you're going to become a new you. You don't know what you're going to look like. You don't know what your life's going to look like, but you know in your head, rationally, you're going to get better. Of course, we don't live from our heads. We live from our hearts. And sometimes it takes a long time for our hearts to heal. Let me tell you something else about shock. Shock either, it does one of two things to you. It either frees you or it freezes you. When you lost someone, the shock either frees or freezes you. Initially, shock freezes every griever. 
Some are afraid they'll stay frozen. Some do stay frozen. Most will thaw out and become free. During shock's initial frozen stage, you begin to discover what you're really made of. You call upon your inner strength, your resilience. Everybody's got resilience. And your coping skills in order to move from frozen to free. Some people are stronger, more resilient, and cope better than others. Doesn't matter. As long as you're moving in the right direction, you're in good shape. When someone is physically freezing, what do we do? We put a blanket on him. The emotional equivalent of a blanket is community, compassion, and time. The community aspect can be tricky since community is interaction with people, whether it's a few or many, and we've already talked about some of the problems that come with being with other people after someone you loved has died. Because if each of us has a different healing style after a loss, some grievers need to be alone for a while before they're ready for a whole lot of community. You know who you are out there. You need time to begin adjusting and sorting things out. These people heal better when they have some time away from others. Taking time alone to heal is healthy as long as it does not turn into hiding from the world. One day you might be in a mood for a few people. The next day you might feel better with more people around you. Then the day after that, you might want to be alone again. This is natural because you're the kind of person who heals better with more time alone. You may look frozen on the outside, but you're actually free on the inside. Other grievers avoid dealing with loss by jumping right back into their full routine, going back to work right away and surrounding themselves with lots of people all the time. And again, you know who you are. It's normal. Well, sort of, but you need time. You need to take time. These grievers aren't healing. They're using unhealthy avoidance tactics. This is just a busy looking version of being frozen. The griever looks free on the outside, but is actually frozen on the inside. And how many times has that happened to us? The younger or less resilient you are, the more likely you'll believe that you should be surrounded by lots of people when you're in shock and in the early stages of grief. The older or more resilient you are, the more you might want fewer people around, more time to yourself, because you're more emotionally self-reliant. You trust yourself more. And you've discovered from past experience that when you're with a lot of people, you have to deal with their well-meaning, but often annoying and draining ways of trying to console you. Ways that aren't consoling at all, and usually filled with advice that you know does not apply to you. So you end up spending all your time and precious little emotional energy defending and explaining yourself to other people. Don't do that. You need not explain the death of a loved one to anyone. You can turn and walk away. You can say thank you for caring. 
You can say, I'd rather not talk about it right now. You can say it hurts too bad. Maybe another time would be better for me. I want to talk to you, but not now. And thank you for worrying about me. Some people who try to console you end up just slowing down your healing. They don't mean to do that. They just don't have the knack for consolation. They think they should say something, but it's often the wrong thing. When you've lost a loved one, the last thing you want to hear is, well, it's probably for the best. And even the most faithful among us aren't necessarily consoled by the words, she's with God now, so everything's going to be okay. Well, I don't know who you pray to, but the God I pray to doesn't work like that. It's, it's, she's with God now, but she's not okay, and I'm not okay. She died. So she can be with God, if that's what you believe, but everything's not going to be okay. With all due respect to God, mourners would really rather have their loved ones alive and with them. So don't listen to anybody who tells you Um, she's with God now, everything's going to be okay. Or, especially with a kid, God needed her more than you did, and she's now an angel of God. I get very upset when I hear people say that. I really get very upset. It's unfair. doesn't deal with your heart and the pain that you're feeling. They want to be helpful, these friends of yours. They just don't know how. I'm happy to teach them. So if you know anybody who needs this teaching, if you, know, if you have friends who don't know what to say to you after somebody you love died, tell them to listen in. I'll teach them. When you're grieving, you just want consolation and comfort. You don't necessarily need advice and opinions. But most people don't know how to console and comfort. They mistakenly believe that advice and opinion is synonymous with consolation and comfort, but we know it isn't. Mourners need to be heard. You have to talk. When you're mourning, talking and telling your stories helps you go from frozen to free. You're not necessarily looking for those listening to say anything useful or wise, But people find it hard to just sit there and say nothing. So they respond. And those responses can often be useless or upsetting. So what do you do? You seek out only those people who can truly comfort you with their actions or words. If they're toxic, stay away. I don't care if they've been your best friend for 25 years. If they don't know how to comfort you so that your heart feels better, Don't be around them for a while. You will only be hurting yourself. What does it look like when shock and grief freezes you? One day, about 20 years ago, my friend Barbara stood on one side of the street and told her nine-year-old son who stood across the road that it was okay to cross the street and come to her. Just as he entered the street, a speeding car came out of nowhere 
and hit him. A week later, he died in the hospital. Despite the loving efforts of her husband and other children, Barbara never recovered from the shock. She just withered away. When her son died, her life stopped. Her death killed her too, even though she was still breathing and walking around. Compounding the shock of seeing a car slam into her son was the guilt she felt. And when that happens to people, you know you get a new last name. So forever, they began to call her, oh, there's Barbara whose son died. You get a new last name that you don't want. You know about that. Barbara had led a charmed life. She'd been happy. Her family had been happy, but the shock of losing her son froze her. So what does it look like when shock and grief free you? Well, I'm going to save this for next week because I want to talk to you about something else. For next week, my topic is going to be you. That is, I really want am interested in what you would like me to talk about. Now, so how do we make that work? You're going to send me emails. So I want you to, if you have a pen or a pencil, I want you to write down the following email address. It is grief, okay, easy enough, grief, okay, at AOL.com. And my website is called griefok.com. So I invite you to go peruse my website. There's some interesting stuff on there that I hope will help. But I really, really, really want you to send me emails because I'd rather talk about what you want to talk about than what I talk about. I know what I'm going to talk about. But I want to know what you want me to talk about. So next week, there's gonna, not going to be, you know, a scheduled topic. So when you get your little e-card, you're going to see that I'm going to give you my email address again. And I'm going to invite you and your friends, because everybody listening to me has 10 friends who need to be listening to me. I'm going to invite you to send me emails with questions or comments. If I've said something that you disagree with, Write it down, send it to me. I want to know. So I want to talk about it. Okay? So that's going to be for next week. The next thing I want to say is that, you know, I love to teach. I, I hope that comes across. I love to be with people. So let's say you want to bring me to your city and be a guest speaker at a conference that you're in charge of. Let's say you want me to talk to your, the people that work for you. Uh, what do we do when somebody dies on our workforce? What should we do? What's the right thing to do? What should we not do? What should we say? What should we not say? If you have a, a church that you belong to and you want me to do two or three sessions over a weekend about uh, grief, Invite me. I'll be happy to come. We'll talk about the arrangements. You know, I, I don't go for God. I go for me, and I got to pay the bills just like you do, but I want to be with you. So if anybody out there wants to have me, now I got an email 
from Australia, and I got an email from Edinburgh, and yes, I'll go anywhere. So that's what I wanted to say before we end tonight's uh, session. I look forward to next week when uh, you get a chance to not only learn from me, but I get a chance to learn from you. I look forward to it. From morning to morning, you can do it. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.